Welcome to Eucharist Church. .ca. .ca. Hello, Eucharist. Um, it's Mina, um, and I'm coming to you today from my office in my house. And um, this is because I preached this morning uh, in person at Eucharist, and uh, normally we would record it on the spot and put that on the podcast, but um, there was a bit of a tech error, and those things happen, don't they, every now and then. Um, technology doesn't do for us what we wish it to do for us, and so, um, yeah, normally I think that I would just let it be and say, like, well, I guess it's not going to end up on the podcast this week. That's fine, but I don't know. I was just walking home from church, and I just felt a nudge to re-record it uh, re-record the message that I gave this morning for the podcast. Um, yeah, and I don't know why, but I hope that perhaps it blesses you or perhaps there's something that the Spirit wanted to speak to you as the listener um, from this gospel word, and so um, may you be blessed by it. Uh, the passage for today comes from John 21. This is the last chapter in the book of John, and it's uh, right after Jesus uh, dies and resurrects. And before his death, uh, there's a story told of Peter following Jesus. Peter was one of uh, Jesus' disciples and closest friends. And uh, there's a story of Peter following Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest after Jesus has been arrested. Uh, so Jesus is on trial and Peter is sort of sneaking along there. And um, he ends up speaking with some of the like servants and guards who ask him, they ask like, did you know Jesus? And they asked him that several times. And every time Peter, um, I can picture him kind of stopping in his tracks and thinking to himself, oh, if I say that, if I say that I did know Jesus, then I might actually end up being on trial as well. I might actually also be um, arrested. And so Peter needs to make a decision in that moment. He needs to, he needs to think, do I, do I tell the truth? Do I stand up for Jesus? Do I acknowledge that, yes, I am one of his followers and just let that carry him to whatever end it may carry him to? Or do I play the safe game and lie? And so Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, looks at the servant, looks at the guard and says, no, I actually, I never knew Jesus. And this is, this is kind of serious because it's like not wanting to be associated with your best friend. Like if you were to imagine that happening in one of your friendships, like, oof, that hurts. But it hurts even more in this situation because, of course, Jesus is in his most desperate hour. And as if that's not bad enough, the, the worst part really of it is that Jesus had seen it coming. <laughs> and he had told Peter, you know, long before that happened, he had said to him, you will actually deny me three times. And Peter said, no, I, I would never do that. But now here we are. And there's a scene recorded in the book of Luke where Peter looks 
and, and he sees across the room Jesus. Jesus looks him right in the eye. And in that moment, a rooster crows. And Peter dis- kind of realizes what he's done. And the story goes that he just weeps bitterly in remorse. And that's the last that Peter and Jesus see of each other before Jesus dies. And of course, Jesus resurrects. Hallelujah. (laughs) And then this passage right here that we're about to read is the first encounter of Jesus and Peter after all that had happened. So this is John 21, starting at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says to him, feed my lambs. And he says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. And he says to him, tend my sheep. He says to him a third time, Simon, son of John. Do you love me? And Peter, Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you did not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he says to him, follow me. I can't imagine... What Peter must have felt seeing the risen Christ in that moment. Because, of course, it would have been joy. Like It would have been all joy. Like, holy crap, my best friend is alive again after dying kind of joy. And all the insane emotions of witnessing such a remarkable miracle. Of course, of course, it would have been, it would have been ecstasy. But, I mean, I think weaved in with that, I think weaved in with that, I... I think as I've been thinking about this passage this week, I've also been aware there would have been some intense, like, remorse. You know, like, have you ever had it where you have a really tough moment with a friend or family member? Maybe you get into a really heated argument or something like that, and then you don't see them for a while. And when you see them again, I mean, it's almost like those feelings all come back. And so I bet for Peter... Mixed right in there with the celebration of this, you know, risen friend, there would have been some really kind of tricky feelings running through his nervous system. Feelings of embarrassment and regret and no doubt shame. And what do you think Jesus was feeling all this time. You know, because I don't think that the fact that 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 he's God shields him from all the mixed feelings either. I mean, he gets to enjoy a reunion with all his friends. But I mean, these are 
all friends, all these disciples who left him at his most desperate hour, who fled the scene of betrayal and left Jesus to die on his own. And I would have imagined even that Peter's departure and denial would have maybe been one of the more painful of the broken friendships. Peter, who, if you know anything about the Gospels, throughout his life was always so zealously faithful to Jesus. Like, like so, like, kind of weirdly or annoyingly <laughs> crazy about Jesus. Like, it was almost like I imagined him like a golden retrieval, kind of following Jesus wherever he goes. <laughs> and Peter not only leaves him, but denies he ever knew him three times. I mean, that friggin' hurts. And so I kind of imagine both of them feeling equal parts joyful and super rotten. And they look at each other. Maybe they're kind of dodging eye contact. Maybe taking a deep breath out and saying to themselves, okay, here comes a really tough conversation. And Jesus, being the Christ, being as the scriptures say, the way, the truth, and the life, he knows that the road to the kingdom of heaven is paved by forgiveness. And so not despite, but because of his deep pain and hurt around the denial of his friend, Jesus chooses not to hash it out. He chooses not to lose his temper or seek revenge. Instead, Jesus looks at Peter and asks the most simple, heartfelt question that he can, knowing it's the real heart of the matter. Do you love me, Peter? And I imagine Peter kind of sighing out, thinking to himself, gosh, Yes, this is the question I wanted to answer in full earnest all this time. This is the question that's been rolling around my own head these last three days. And man, I've been dying, thinking I'd never be able to say it to Christ's face. And he blurts out, yes, I love you, Jesus. And Christ has an immediate follow-up right away, a path past this painful moment. He says, Peter, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter, you betrayer, now forgiven. You have a job. Get up. Get on with your calling. Feed my sheep. And I can almost see Peter's face. When Christ gives him that command, feed my sheep, me, feed Christ's sheep. And Peter, Peter would have been familiar with Christ's metaphor of being the great shepherd. He would have known right away this was a calling into ministry. This is a job that will require wisdom and depth and deep discernment. It will be a pioneering role. It will be an adventuring into places he nor anyone else has been spiritually. This is not a small task. This is a big assignment. So I imagine Peter's face when Christ says, feed my sheep, 
And I picture terror. Like I picture absolute fear. I picture maybe a return to some of that deep remorse, that sense of maybe if he had asked last week, maybe if he had asked before I proved to myself and everyone around me that I am a failure of a follower, maybe I'd have mustered up that zeal I was so known for, but it's all been dampened like a wet rag. I know myself now, Peter thinks. And I am not a feeder of sheep. <sighs> Have you ever had a voice of shame come over you like that? I mean, maybe you've had times when you've sensed God beckoning you forward to do something new and all you can think of is the reasons why you could never do that. Maybe, maybe there's something, maybe there's something small. Like maybe, maybe you feel you need to text somebody that you haven't talked to in a while, or maybe it's something big. Like maybe it's something as big as entering into a whole new stage of life, whatever that may be. Maybe it's saying yes to a job or saying yes to starting a family or maybe saying yes to retire, whatever it may be. Maybe there's something big or small, that you know in your gut you need to do. But your mind plays back for you like a loop all the reasons that's a bad idea or it's never going to work. Maybe you've had a voice of perfectionism in your head. Saying I'd be imperfect at that, so I, it's not even worth trying. Maybe... Like Peter, you have looked God in the face as he's invited you to follow him. Maybe not even once, but twice or three times and you've silently stood there paralyzed. If you have, you're not alone. <laughs> Some of you know a bit of my story and you know that I just finished seminary. I went to seminary, which is um, graduate level theological education, because of an interest in theology and spiritual care and this sort of thing. And, and you know, along with kind of a small, vague sense of calling into some kind of ministry, I, I never really knew what, but what I did know was that it better not be pastoring <laughs> because I was really afraid to be a pastor. I was about as afraid of it as Peter was of feeding sheep that day. <laughs> but honestly, in full earnest, over the last kind of year and a half, for I think a whole variety of reasons, something began to shift in me. And what it was was almost like my desires began to shift. And I started to think, Oh, maybe, maybe God might be calling me to be a pastor. Maybe it's even something I would desire were I not so afraid, you know? And so I want to say to all of us who have experienced or are experiencing much fear and trepidation, about the path God has for us. 
that there is good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus looks at Peter and he does not ask, are you qualified? He doesn't ask, are you clever and smart and charming? He doesn't ask, are all your ducks finally in a row? Are you prepared enough to do this job perfectly? No mistakes. He doesn't ask that. He doesn't even ask, are you ready? I mean, when Jesus calls Peter, the rock on whom the church will be built, all he simply asks is, do you love me? Do you love Christ? That is the qualifying question Christ asks the one he calls. And Christ, in all his wisdom, knows. He asks that question because he knows that love is the necessary thing. Love is the one essential element needed for a life of adventurous kingdom work. It is love that, as it says in 1 John, casts out fear. If you love Christ, you might start to notice your fear melting away and slowly dissipating gently and slowly washing away like a wound in the midst of healing. You won't be afraid anymore because you'll just actually be too busy loving, too busy caught in the glory of knowing you get to love and be loved by a cosmic transcendent deity that makes all things well and you won't want to lose that love for anything. You'll want to follow that love wherever it goes. Do you love Christ? That is the question. But interestingly, interestingly, even that question is washed in forgiveness. You see, it doesn't show up in our English translations, but in the Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, Peter and Jesus are actually having a much more nuanced conversation. You see, at the, at the beginning of this passage, Jesus asks Peter, do you agape me? And agape is a, a deep, complex word for love in the Greek. It's a kind of love that is radical and otherworldly. It's a love that is completely unselfish and willing to sacrifice everything for its sake. Agape love is the kind of love that is willing to be martyred for its sake. It's the type of love where you're willing to give up your life for your friend. And Peter, in the shadow of his denial, all, all the zeal he'd previously had dampened by the knowledge of his weakness, looks at Jesus after he asks that question and he says, well, Lord, you know that I feel you. Philos. 
is another word for love in the Greek, but it's kind of a less radical, less unselfish love. It's a friendship kind of love. It's a love that is warm and heartfelt and true, certainly, but it it might not take you all the way to martyrdom. It might not even stand the test of time. Feel us, you Lord, Peter says. And Jesus asks again, he says, do you agape me? I feel us, you, Peter replies. Last time, Jesus looks Peter in the eye, and I imagine a kind of warm smile, all loving, all forgiving, displaying even the agape love of God for all his friends in their glorious weaknesses, asks Peter one more time. This time he says, do you feel us me? To which Peter again, no doubt at this point, tears welling up in his eyes, knowing the, the bar had to be lowered for his sake. Takes a deep breath and says, yeah, I, f- I feel lost you, Jesus. The one who is being called to feed sheep can't even say aloud. He has agape love, but hallelujah. Even mere philos is enough when doused in honest humility. So it's not your own abilities that qualify you. Jesus doesn't ask about your credentials, about your skills or your unique cleverness. All he asks is, do you love me? But even that love, can be a flickering candle. Even that love can be, it can be the type of love you have for that friend from college you don't even talk to anymore. It doesn't have to be much. And why? You know, like why, why in the kingdom of God does God seem to have no intense vetting process, no point system, no assets needed? Have you ever wondered why? The reason why is because the economy of the kingdom of God is a gift economy. It's a grace economy. It's not, it's not a world where you must meet standards because it's an economy where Christ is the standard and his standard is grace. It's entirely grace, which means you don't have to be any particular way here in order to contribute. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be beautiful by the standards of this world. You don't need to believe any particular way. You don't need to be tidied up or straightened up or in compliance with any sort of way. You just have to be willing to keep your flickering light of love burning, even just a spark. And so as you look ahead to whatever step of faith God might be calling you into, big or small, I invite you 
relax into grace. Relax into the good news that it's not about you. <laughs> I love this. I mean, you wouldn't believe how helpful it's been for me as I've wrestled with my calling to just remember that it's not about me. It's actually not about any of us and what we can or can't accomplish. I mean, of course, of course, your gifts, you know, like the things that make you you, the unique image of Christ in you will shine forth as you say yes to his invitation for you, whatever that may be. But rest assured that when you say yes to Christ and go forth on your adventure of following him, he is the main character, not you. And that is so freeing. So yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll make mistakes. Like you'll probably not get it all right. It'll, it'll feel hard sometimes. And, and I hate to say it, but the things you're afraid of, they might even happen. But the good news is that grace means all Christ needs is your yes. And he'll supply the rest. Say yes. Say yes. And then as you relax into his good plan for you, what you'll start to notice is that grace will begin to do its good work in you naturally. At the end of this passage, Jesus says these really mysterious and fascinating words to his friend, Peter. He says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. What Jesus is saying here is, Peter, when you were young, your love was philos. It was true, but it was weak. It was only willing to do what it wanted to do. And when things got hard, you left. Sure, you loved, but it was a whimsical and wild kind of love. It was unanchored. But it won't always be that way, Christ says. Peter who betrayed Jesus and sat in his remorse, finally admitting to his weakness and inability to love Christ. Peter, who had only philos to offer after years of following Rabbi Jesus and hearing his teachings firsthand, was so beautiful as the, the story goes that after a full life of fantastic ministry, Peter was executed by the Romans, just like Jesus. He was hung on a cross, but he said, hang me upside down because I don't even want to insinuate that I am anything like the all forgiving agape filled Christ that I knew. What Jesus gives to Peter at the end of this passage, and this is really important, what he gives is not, it's not a task. It's not a to-do. It's not, would you just agape love me better, Peter? It's, it's nothing like that. Not a task, but a promise. It's a promise. 
And it's a promise for all of us that, that with your little yes and your little philos, God can and will create abundant agape love. And it will be the love that continues to cast out fear. It will be love that will continue to be the only necessary thing for a life of following Christ. It will move mountains and build the church and cause revolutions in its wake. This is just what agape does. But it will arrive in you, not by your strength. Since you are not the main character and you can't muster up agape even if you tried. It will arrive to you as a gift from Christ who loved and loves until the end. Amen. Amen.